Okay, we're recording. Ah! Okay, hi, I'm Sasha Pettis. Hi, I'm Samantha Schutz. And today we're going to be talking to you guys and each other about privilege and identities. Um, we're just going to get into a couple questions, have a little chat, see how it goes. <laughs> yep. yep. <laughs> um, okay, so what part of your identity do you think people first notice about you? I definitely think they notice my race, um, my gender identity, my sex, all things along those lines, because I feel like those are definitely really obvious, and I feel like that's how people form the perceptions of me at first. So, I would agree. I would say race um, and definitely gender and sex. I think I just I look very much like a stereotypical quote-unquote girl and I look very feminine in a way that society very commonly accepts so it's pretty easy to have those like recognizable identifying features um which is I guess your privilege within itself yeah to just not have to really think twice about that but when you do you're like oh yeah it's just kind of like a commonly like accepted like oh that's how she looks but I've seen people like on TikTok for example post videos about how they'll be at the grocery store and they'll get misgendered and it's like it sucks because I guess there's no way of knowing, but it sucks that you automatically, like, that there's not a neutral base that we could start at with that instead mm-hmm. of automatically just assuming, oh, that's what you look like, so that's what you have to be. be. Exactly. There's not really, I feel like a lot of people don't really double check or double look at me, don't do a lot of double takes. Even when I'm wearing more, again, stereotypically, let's say, like, masculine clothes or if I was wearing hoodies and such, um, I feel like people would still look at me and say, that's a feminine girl, not automatically question like how do you identify you know um okay and I guess the question that goes along with that is what part of your identity are you most comfortable sharing with other people I definitely think oh I think I'm most comfortable sharing all of my identities for the most part just because I do carry privilege in most of them Mm um yeah I, that's what I think. How about you? I would say the same. Again, it's just because I, a lot of my identities, I quote unquote, like look like my yeah, identities literally. Exactly. That's the privilege um, of it. Yeah, there's a lot of privilege in that, just having that. So, but I would say like the least comfortable part is something that's less obvious. I would say like disabilities, and we were talking about with each other, like how to really speak about that with other people um, personally. I have like an arm disability, brachial plexus palsy, and that's something that not a lot of people notice, but it's still, obviously, I think about it every day. And then also struggle with mental health issues and battles, so that's definitely something I'm getting comfortable sharing with people, but also always something that I think I'm going to be a little more protective and private about, at least personally. Yeah, no, I definitely understand where you're coming from on a lot of that, and I think it's very valid for sure. I think the identity I'm least comfortable sharing with other people, it's unexpectedly like my socioeconomic sad class. Like I'm middle class, but I went to a kindergarten through eighth grade school that it was called the Meadows and it was a college prep school starting from kindergarten. So that's, that's how you know it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. And the tuition was $25,000 a year. It was insane. And I was with some of the wealthiest kids in Vegas and it right. made me really insecure. And then coming to USD, and seeing like a lot of the same stuff I'm always just like like I know I'm not as wealthy as everybody here mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter but it's like it's something I always notice so yeah. I get 
like kind of uncomfortable, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I would, I feel like I, I understand like yeah. that feeling. I have grown up all over the place and I've been in cities that have just really large concentrations of wealth, like in New York City, even in Denver now, San Francisco, mm-hmm. um, Miami, Florida, I've lived in all those places and it's just, you really see the dichotomy of like hyper, hyper wealth concentration and then um, middle class and then you see people in lower socioeconomic statuses. So again, like being in this school, it's kind of like a little microcosm of concentrated wealth. Um, yeah, so you definitely. definitely see a lot of uh, variety and it's very easy to like fall prey to that like weird or insecure mindset, especially as like young adults when it's yeah. still our parents and not necessarily yeah, ours. Exactly. It's definitely hard to separate that, I think. I always forget that. Yes. Uh, okay, what part of your identity are you most proud of? Um, I'm probably most proud of my like emotional disability, just like I'm I've been in eating disorder recovery for four months now and I just think that's awesome. <laughs> and I'm really proud of myself because last semester I didn't think I'd ever like get out of that. I lost twenty pounds within two months and that's like oh my goodness. insane. And I just thought I was like this it's like I'm not gonna get through that, but I did and now I'm healthy and it's amazing. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. That's huge. That yeah, is huge. Conquering your identity I think is a, a really cool thing. It is. I think just like being able to identify certain things and you are like take ownership of them like this is part of me is very yeah. liberating as much as it is draining. Yes. You know there's part of it that's like this is something I'm going to struggle with or deal with for my entire life. And it's going to be quote unquote different from a lot of other people, but it can be so empowering. Like what yeah. do you accept that as part of your identity and work to see how beautiful it can be? Cause there are a lot of parts of like mental health struggles that can be really beautiful to that journey. So I'm privileged and I'm not privileged <laughs> yeah. in the way of like what it talks about that, but it does make me most proud of it. I think just cause yeah. it's something that I've thought about so much. Exactly. Um, and that being said, that's like, Again, like part of my identity that I struggled the most with. I think yeah. growing up, just coming to terms with it. Yeah, and having to like accept it and then try and beat it, and it's it's so it's it's hard because it's like that mental struggle, and you're just like, Phew. and once you finally do it, you're like, yeah, like that's me. <laughs> look at me. Look at yeah, me. part of who I am. Yes, it's very awesome. Again, I'm really proud of you. That's Thank that's you. really cool to hear. Thank you for being open about that. Um, okay, what part of other people's identities do you notice first? Um, I definitely notice the identities that people notice about me. I feel like it's just because it's right, it's right in your face. So it's mm-hmm. the first thing you think of. The visual cues. Yeah. You know, like, I think as much as we would like to not think about it in the sense of where it <laughs> yeah. should be not really like something that makes you stop and think. Yeah. Sometimes it still does. You know, like when you... Are describing someone you met you know often like their race or gender comes into play the descriptors of um their identities and it's kind of like the easiest thing to use as ways to describe them but yeah i definitely agree yes um and then for what part of your identity do you feel you face oppression for the most often oppression for <sighs> I think, I mean, it's honestly hard to identify because I recognize that I'm privileged in many, many ways and to 
say that is not to belittle any type of like identity mm-hmm. and like not to say that none of it can be impressed but I would say uh for me I guess just my gender being a woman that's still even in our society can pose limitations and restrictions that will exist probably for a very long time just because of how psychology interacts with it and how ingrained it is in our minds um and then also the mental health issues you know there's a lot of stereotypes and complications especially like with media and um commodifying mental health kind of as a product so those are probably the two i definitely agree with that yeah for what part of your identity do you feel least comfortable with at usd oh that's hard oh um (laughs) that's honestly really challenging Oh, you know what? I would say my religious orientation mm. or my – I personally identify as, like, spiritual or agnostic, somewhere in that realm. Um, I wasn't raised in private Catholic schools. I wasn't raised going to church. I wasn't raised being taught about the Bible or um, – and though our school does an amazing job of, you know, teaching us at any level that you come in with – there's still, I think, a learning curve when it comes in, like you go into theology classes, really not knowing about those concrete <laughs> basics yeah. that people have grown up their entire lives with. So sometimes it just makes me stop and think. I don't know if it's like, it's not that I feel bad or necessarily always uncomfortable. It's just definitely makes me think about it more critically. No, I definitely understand. I came from like the opposite of that. I was raised extremely Roman Catholic. I was, I had my first, um, first communion. I was confirmed all of, all the good stuff Mm -hmm. and coming to USD. And I was, went to a Lutheran high school. So like studied the Bible all those years and coming to USD, I thought that it would make me maybe stronger in my faith, but I feel like I've been enlightened to a lot of different things that it's definitely changed my my perception of faith. So I feel like my identity has changed because because of USD in the weirdest way, Ooh. which you wouldn't expect it no, to. No, but that, that does make sense. Yeah. I was, like, actually not, again, not worried. I wasn't worried about coming to a super Catholic school, but I was almost intimidating because I thought it would be, I would feel excluded or not knowledgeable in certain realms, but really it wasn't the case. Like, I feel like I became a lot more enlightened about all the different kinds of faiths and what that means for different people and how it integrates differently into different people's lives and how it is such a powerful tool within curriculum. Um, So yeah, Uh, your own identities that you would like to learn more about. This is a hard question. I'd probably like to learn more about my ethnicity. That's something I definitely feel like I know the least about. Um, I'm Italian and German, and my family is big on their Italian values, um, and so I feel like I know a decent amount about that, but I'd like to learn more about just how that connects to how, who I am, you know, and how Mm -hmm. that has made me who I am in my family the same way. Yes, I relate to that a lot. Um, I think ethnicity, I took an ethnic studies class, and it was really interesting to learn, like, how ethnicity and nationality and all of the above are just kind of defined and how race interacts with all of them and how they're very different, really, when you think about them and how they're described. My mom is Lebanese 
and my dad is German English. But on my mom's side, she really has no or had no exposure to that culture. She's very far removed because of personal family things, but I was really never ingrained in that or exposed to that like she was at all, and she never really brought it into our lives. So even though I'm essentially half Middle Eastern, um, it's hard to like identify, have that piece as my identity, even though it's literally genetically in my blood, it's not really something that I identify with, Yeah, which is really interesting. That is really interesting. Yeah. Um, What part of your identity do you see having the most effect on your interactions with students? Ooh, gender. Gender and then race, I would say. I would say gender just, I mean, it just goes on to like, I don't know, my entire life, you taught, being taught as a girl, identifying as a girl, um, you just always go and seek out a group of girlfriends, you know? And I think that kind of dictates a lot of interactions with them. And then it also dictates the opposite reactions with guys a lot of the time. And it there's definitely a big difference, I think. Um, or there was. I would say now that I'm moving into college and I'm getting older, how yeah. I interact with people of different genders, you know, female, male, um, binary, non-identifying, etc. I it's a little more consistent yeah. than it was, I think, when I was little, because I think we were a little more conditioned when we were younger to treat them differently. Yeah. Um, yes, what about you? Um... I'd say the same, honestly. I also think religion comes into play a lot of the time because there are a lot of people here who are very strong in their faith and they make it a large part of their identity. And it's very obvious in a lot of interactions with them. So I think that's something that definitely affects it because I've had those interactions a lot more than I thought I would, which is surprising. But yes. Mm -hmm. How do you think it influences, sorry, your interactions? With teachers, like, do you think gender or race or yeah, like authority? What do you? How do you think? What do you think is the biggest? I definitely have noticed, not even just at USD, but um, in high school and stuff too, that a lot of the times older male teachers will talk down to you a lot mm-hmm. or will make you feel stupid. And I mean, sometimes I do get that from like older female teachers, but a lot of the time it's. It's predominantly with men, so, yeah. And I think that's definitely, it makes an impact on, like, your education and if you want to, like, if you, what you invest into the class. If you don't Mm -hmm. like the professor, you're not going to want to invest anything into the class. And if they treat you like that, you're not going to like them. That is very true. And it just makes me think, you know, when you think about, like, intersectionality and different identities and people who have identities that are less privileged, how much that difference is um, like exacerbated when the, the pre- like the majority of our teachers are male, white, and yeah, privileged. Exactly, you know, like they're in those positions of power and authority, mm-hmm. and I wonder how that works out for a lot of other people. Yeah, it's very interesting. That's very interesting. very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, what else are we going to talk about today? What part of your identity do you see having the most effect on your interactions with coworkers or peers? Like, I guess kind of that goes in the, the same, same thing with students, with students yeah. and That's coworkers. I, I think in the professional world, it's 
different. You know, when you're at work, there's a little, I don't want to say like a protective barrier because that definitely cannot be the case in some scenarios, but there's a little more of a distancing, I think, or concentration on your identity formation. I definitely agree. So that would be that. Uh, this is a personal question I had. And just, you know, obviously we're in the time of COVID and we're in the times where vaccines are happening. I mean, we both just got vaccinated this week and whoop, I'm excited. I'm <laughs> yes. excited personally, but it did make me think, you know, if USD and a bunch of other schools for that matter are going to require vaccinations on campus. And the reason that's so interesting to me is because, I mean, honestly, I haven't done that much research, but I'd really like to know and like hear your thoughts about it if race and socioeconomic status have an influence on the availability of people to get vaccinated um, and educational background, like how, mm -hmm. like people who let's say are from lower socioeconomic classes might not have time to take off work or they can't bear taking off that much work, even if it's for a 15, 20 minute vaccine. You know, I wonder how much that will per like influence the percentage of people who are available to get that. And also if that can, privilege some people in ways you know so especially at a private college where they can say hey you need to be vaccinated to come back on campus yeah. so it's really interesting to see how many people will think about that how parents will interact with that um i wonder yeah i think it's really good that usd is now giving vaccines on campus to students mm -hmm. even if it's not as many as they could be doing it's definitely a start and I know a ton of kids have recently been vaccinated by USD. And I know the Rite Aid right by Linda Vista, they're doing vaccinations. I definitely think that socioeconomic status plays a big role in your availability of getting it because sometimes the waits are unbearably long. Like when I just got my second dose in Vegas, there were 8,000 people at the <gasps> convention stadium. No 8,000 people getting vaccinated 8, at once. They gave a, they gave out like 15,000 shots that day. That's insane. I know. I, I like was in the very back. I, <gasps> yeah, it was really, it was a lot of people. That's a lot of people. I know. It was crazy. Oh my gosh. It's so weird to think about how it will continue COVID even when vaccinations come around and the majority of people are inoculated. I just want to know how it will continue to affect um, people in the long term. You know, in my gender studies class last semester, we talked a lot about how it influences food insecurity, um, women and domestic abuse in the relationships, staying inside, obviously socioeconomic when you come from a lower status and job availability, like there are going to be long-term effects that I think. Yeah. Will and remain. it's definitely going to be the people of in minority groups and of lower socioeconomic classes that are going to take the longest to recover from these. Whereas people with higher, with more privilege in a bunch of different ways are going to bounce back way faster and mm -hmm. probably already have at this point, maybe. I know. I mean, because we talk a lot about, I think, in our classes and even in my friend groups and with my family, just the last, you know, how has COVID impacted your life? How has, what has your response been? And um, what are the issues that you've been dealing with? And it's not to like belittle any of the issues or problems that I've had, but I would say, you know, I have been so privileged in that not a bunch of my life factors have changed yeah. you know 
I, I still am able to live in the apartment with my friends that I want yeah. to. And I'm still able to attend school full time. Yeah. And I didn't lose a job. I didn't lose an internship. And it's crazy to think how different that situation has played out for so many other people. And it's cool that I think we, I mean, we have these conversations all the time yeah. in, our, in our friend group, just about the privilege that we have and how important it is not only to recognize that, but also recognize the differences of other people. Yeah. So I definitely agree. Yes. Yay. Um, well, I think that's all the questions that I have. Do you have any other remaining? Oh, do you want to talk about the matrix of oppression limitations? Yeah. What okay. do you think some of the limitations are? I was trying to think about it um, because the matrix of oppression, I- I've learned about it and a tool had have had it being presented to me as a tool many times in many of my classes and I think I kind of did like an artistic drawing of it my own way of showing the yeah oppression wheel and um seeing that it just kind of made me think about how they're all kind of separated, if that makes sense. I'm doing nothing yeah. to show up describing it, but no, they're all separate identities. And I think it doesn't really take into account, at least visually in my head, it doesn't really take into account how intersectional identities can yeah. influence together. Because those axes don't just exist independently. They exist in contingency with all your other identities and how you and they're also ch- ever changing. You know? Yeah, I a was lot just of them say, do change. Not all of them, obviously, but I feel like it has to be updated at a certain point. Like a lot of those ones that were border or that were on the oppression side have definitely changed and switched. Mm-hmm. So Fishy. I think it needs to be reevaluated because they exactly. are, they are, they're dynamic. Yeah. I definitely don't think it's just something that you can do or fill out obviously. And it's not meant to be, it's not, I don't think advertised as something that's like, this is set in stone, but I think it's a lot more fluid than that picture or, imagery can really present because a lot of those identities within themselves are a lot more fluid than we think like how do you even define socioeconomic status how do you define gender now you know it's changing and it's important to take that into account yeah so i definitely agree awesome well i think that's the end of our conversation (laughs) thank you so much sam thank you sasha this was great great (laughs) okay thank you so much for listening yes thank you Bye. bye